Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome. Uh, particularly a warm welcome if you, uh, if this is your first time tuning in to our live stream. Uh, we're so glad that you found us, whether you stumbled across us on YouTube or a friend sent you the link. We're really grateful that you're here. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at Liberty Church. Uh, and our practice is, what we do every Sunday, is we uh, take a passage from the Bible, uh, which we believe is God's word to us, and we study what God has to say to us. And uh, that's something that we don't just do as an intellectual experience, but something we do with our hearts. We come to Jesus ready to hear what he has to say to us. And uh, what we're going to do today is we, uh, in the build-up to Christmas, uh, we are going to be in the book of Luke, uh, which is uh, what's called one of the Gospels. It's a, a first-hand account of the life of Jesus uh, written by Luke. Uh, and we're going to read a few verses from that. And what you get in the first couple of chapters of this book of Luke is in many ways, this is sort of like Jesus's origin story. You know, how Batman's parents are murdered and he becomes a crime fighter or Superman lands as a kind of an alien from the planet Krypton or wherever it was, or Jimmy McGill becomes Saul Goodman. Great TV show. But uh, this is sort of Jesus' origin story that we find here in the first couple of chapters of Luke. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, what might be a bit of a long chunk, but please stay with me as I read it. You might want to find, uh, uh, the words will appear on this screen here, but you might want to find uh, the passage in the Bible yourself. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, or you can just Google it, or there's lots of different Bible apps that you can use. So if you want to find uh, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read the, uh, the first 25 verses of Luke 1. It says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some times past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So that's kind of Luke's introduction into the book. And then here we go into the meat of it. It says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. 
and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying thus, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, which is life to us, it's food to our soul, it's a light to our feet. And we want it to speak to us today and shape our lives. Thank you, God, that you are a God who speaks. And we pray that that's exactly what you would do this morning to everyone who is watching, whatever, wherever they are on their journey with you, that you would speak powerfully to them today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Through the Old Testament, uh, which is in the sort of first half of your Bible, we find a series of voices that come again and again. People that come to speak to the, the people of God, often calling them back to God. Where they've wandered and they've gone their own way. If you know the Bible at all or if you're just getting into it, you'll find that seems to be what happens again and again through the story of the Old Testament. Is you find the people of God... Uh, come to him in praise and worship and then through various different stories and things, they end up going their own way, turning their back on God. And we find these voices that come to them again. People like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, who come and they bring a voice calling the people of God back to him. And then as the Old Testament concludes, there's silence for hundreds of years there aren't any voices there's no one coming and speaking to the people of God it's just a quiet and through the Old Testament that's how God spoke to his people that is, was his main primary way of communicating these prophets these voices and then there's just this long period of quiet of silence and that's where this story begins Suddenly God appears. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah and tells him, you're going to have a son. John the Baptist is who they're talking about. And John the Baptist is, he's like a bridge between 
what you read in your, your Old Testament and the story of Jesus that you find in the New Testament. In one sense, he's like the last of the old order, kind of the last of these voices to come, to call the people back to God. But he also comes to herald a new age, to say something new has happened, a change has taken place. Something amazing is about to be birthed. Jesus is coming. That's his message. We'll, find, we'll pick up his story a little bit later in Luke chapter 3, where it quotes from the prophet Isaiah and says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist's role. He comes into a season of silence and wilderness, literally living in the wilderness himself. And he calls the people back to God. And this, in many ways, symbolizes the renewal, the, the restart, the beginning or a new beginning of God's work amongst his people. I think a good example of what we're living through right now is perhaps you feel like this year, 2020, has been like a, a wilderness for you. A season of almost silence, of solitude, of quiet, of struggle, of difficulty, of us all thinking, when's this going to be over? And then in the last few weeks, we've received various bits of news of vaccines, and you can feel people's spirits just lift a little as they begin to see a light at the end of the tunnel, that perhaps there might be a way out of this story, that perhaps there might be a brighter future ahead. Hope has been renewed all around the world as people begin to see perhaps a solution has come. And in many ways, that's what we find in the arrival of John the Baptist. He arrives as news of a potential solution on its way. He comes to herald the arrival of a king, something far greater than any, any vaccine we might find. And what we're going to look at today are four in this story. There are lots of different ways you could find it, but four ways I want to look at that we can find hope in this story, four movements of hope that we find and the first of those is if we look at the, the setting where this story takes place, the story starts with, with Zechariah, this priest, in the temple. And in many ways, the first, first two chapters of Luke uh, are the introduction into the book. And they both, the book, these first two chapters, they both start and end in the temple. We find here Zechariah in the temple on the hour of incense, performing his duty as the priest. And at the end of chapter two, we find Jesus back in the, in, he's in the temple now. He's, he's teaching uh, all the, the scribes, all the priests, he's teaching them from the word of God. They're all astounded that this young boy has such wisdom and knowledge. And there's something quite profound in the, the symmetry, the, the message that the writer Luke is trying to give to us here. See, that the temple for the, the Jewish people, for the people of God, was a place of worship. Not just a place of worship, the place of worship. This is where the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, in the center of the temple. 
It's where they came to bring their sacrifice to God, where they came to, to seek forgiveness from God, where they would come to worship. And Zechariah, as this story tells, he was chosen by, by Lot. Uh, for some priests, that would probably have never happened in their lifetime. So this is the one opportunity for Zechariah in his life, to be there at the hour of incense, to offer this act of worship. There's a whole multitude of people. They're all outside the temple, uh, worshipping as this is all taking place. And then the angel Gabriel appears. We kind of, we wash over this story so quickly because it's so familiar to us as we read it every Christmas time. But there's something really significant and profound happening here. That in the very centre of worship for this people is the priest at the hour of incense giving his offering. And the, the, the offering of incense was, this was an act of, of worship, of devotion, and it was lighting these incense candles would let off a, like a smoke that was supposed to represent the, the glory clouds that would have been over Mount Sinai when God came to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. It was supposed to represent the cloud that filled the temple, this cloud of God's presence. So in many ways, the incense was supposed to represent the presence of God, the worship of God, but at the same time, the priests would offer incense as, a, as an act of, of prayer. It says in Psalm 141, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What's happening here with Gabriel, this angel coming, and Zachariah falling down in fear? This is a wonderfully holy moment and it's God saying to his people your prayers have been answered your longings your hopes or your frustrations and worries the things that you've you've offered to me an answer is coming hope is coming hope will be renewed amongst you a king is is coming a messiah is coming and one's coming who will not just be in the place of worship, but he himself will become the center of worship, that will offer prayers in his name, that he'll replace the glory cloud, the incense, he'll replace the temple. He will become all of those things in himself. The shift is taking place from the temple of God to Jesus. It's announcing the arrival of this Messiah. The second movement we see is, um, is in the characters that we find in this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. This old couple who've not been able to have a child. And in their society 2,000 years ago, to be unable to have a child, to be barren, was an object of pity. You might even become a, an outcast, kicked out of society, looked down upon, despised, rejected, because you are unable to carry a child. And that would have left Elizabeth most likely carrying a deep sense of shame, rejection, of inadequacy. 
And through the Bible, you find numerous stories of barren women again and again. Read of Sarah, Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis. Later in the Genesis story of Rebecca and then Rachel. The story of Hannah in 1 Samuel. And now Elizabeth. And each of these stories for these women, their barrenness represented something more than themselves. In the biblical story, it represents the barrenness of the people of God. How they'd not kept the covenant, the, the agreement, the promise that God had made them. When you make a covenant in the Bible, it's, it's, like, it's like when you get married and you make a commitment to one another. And God comes again and again and he makes a commitment with his people, a covenant, his firm heart promise. And again and again, his people reject God, they break his covenant and they walk away from him. And the barrenness of these women represents the fact that this nation had turned their back on God again and again. But we find that in each of those stories, God moves, he works, and he reverses their individual fortunes each time, against all the odds, he moves powerfully. And each of them ends up carrying a child and giving birth. But it's more than just God speaking into their own personal lives. He's saying that he will keep his promises to his people. That where his people again and again break their covenant agreement with God, that he will keep his promises with them. See, God has plans and purposes for, for you, for your life, for us together as believers all around the world, the people of God. And he will reach into our barrenness, our hopelessness, even our sinfulness, and bring fresh hope and joy. And where we fail again and again to keep the promises that we make with God, he always keeps the promises he makes with us. So often in our Christian lives, you'll reach a point where you'll just say, God, I'm never going to do that again. We, we try and draw a line in the stand. From this moment onwards, that will never take place again. I'll never think that thought again. I'll never say that thing. I'll never act that way and yet often we find ourselves falling back into the same patterns of behavior. We find ourselves failing, even the standards we set ourselves, let alone how we want to live our lives in worship to God. And yet, even though we may break our promises again and again, God keeps his promises with us. The third movement we see in this passage is God speaks into their time, into their era. As I was saying at the start, there's been this hundreds of years of silence and then God speaks, God works afresh. 
So if you go right to the very end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, you'll see the words that are, that are echoed here by, uh, by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. Talking about John the Baptist, he says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. See, God's broken into silence to bring hope. God's activity amongst his people is suddenly visible again. It had never stopped. God hadn't stopped working. He doesn't stop working in our lives. But all of a sudden, it's visible. You can see it. Something is taking place in you again. And interestingly, the same way that this angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple, we read another story in the Bible of where the same angel appears in the book of Daniel. And the same, in the same way, Daniel's been praying to God and Gabriel appears to him at the time of the evening sacrifice. So it's a, an echo of this story. It's the same thing happening. But in Daniel's time, the people of God are in exile. They've been kicked out of Jerusalem. It's perhaps the lowest of the low for the people of God. And yet Gabriel comes to speak a message of hope, to talk about eternity and the future and God's plan for them. And in the same way the angel was appearing here, he breaks into the lowest of lows. He breaks into silence to speak fresh hope and future. Maybe that's what 2020 feels like for you. Just silence. We go through these seasons of, if you're watching this and you're a believer in Jesus, we go through times where we just want God to speak. We just want God to move. We feel like there's this blockage and we just want God to break through it, to open up the way. And you, you can find a, your heart will feel like it's in a wilderness. Your heart will feel frustrated and blocked. Why can't this thing, why can't we just get past this? God, why won't you move? A friend of mine, I heard him say this week that it seems as though God has two speeds, very slowly and suddenly. <laughs> seems to be how God moves, very slowly, little by little, slowly changing us, growing us in lots of often hidden ways. He's at work, but also God's able to suddenly break in. Most of the time, it doesn't fit with our timing with the way we would like things to work. We often pray to God and what we do is we, we give him like a, a, a kind of project plan. Here's, here's what you need to do and here's when you need to do it. Now, if you could just kind of father Christmas this all into being, but that's not how God works. But he does move. He does move. And we know that from this story, that into a time of, Silence, God speaks, the suddenly breaks in. And yet, even when 
we feel an absence of those moments, we have to trust that God, he's still at work in your heart. He's still shaping, drawing you. He's still at work in your life. The fourth movement we see here is we see that God speaks into their hearts, into the brokenness and the pain that Zachariah and Elizabeth must have been carrying in their lives. God speaks into their barrenness for the whole people of God. This silence, this distance, God breaks in. He breaks in, as it says, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. See, God, in Jesus Christ, he's just about to break into history, but not to institute a new regime, not as a new political leader coming in to bring an overthrow in a political sense, but God breaks in to bring about a new relationship to draw his children back to him. See, that's the wonderful good news of the Christmas story. It's not that God has just arrived into this story, but he's arrived into our hearts. That God has come near. Emmanuel, God with us. See, in all our waiting, in all the silence, in all the frustration that this year has brought us, we can all know God near to us. Just as Nina was talking about, we can walk around our living rooms or our kitchens or our bedrooms and we can worship God knowing that he's with us, that he's near to us, that he's at work in us. Even in the hidden quiet times, he's at work. And the question may remain for some people the same question that Zechariah asks the angel here. He says, how do I know this is so? And maybe that's the question you've been wrestling with, that you've been coming along to church for a while. Maybe this is your first time, perhaps. And that's what you want to know. How do I know this is true? How do I know all these claims? How do I know all these things that you sing about and you talk about? How do I know this is real? Well, one thing I'd say to you very simply is, is stick with us. We're so glad that you found us. So glad that we can uh, become friends and get to know you. But stick with us. Keep, keep tuning in when we're able to come along keep following along with us because that's partly why this book why Luke wrote this all down it says in verse 4 it's so that you may have certainty the Bible is here to speak to you and to tell you that this is all true and this is all good news so stick with us but this question how do I know this is so there's actually, this question's been heard before in the Bible. And there's a, before Zachariah and Elizabeth 
And as I mentioned earlier, there was Abraham and Sarah. And back in Genesis 15, you can hear Abraham ask this question to God, where God comes and promises that Sarah's going to give birth to a child. And he says, how do I know this is so? How do I know? And yet there's a different response. Whereas in our story in Luke 1, Gabriel says, well, I stand before the presence of the Lord and now you're going to be mute. Something different happens in the story of Genesis. God makes, uh, he renews his covenant promise with him. But most, the, the story in Genesis is very peculiar. Let me read something, read a little bit of it to you. Because it's in Genesis 15, it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. See, the most striking thing about this story in Genesis 15 is that Abraham's asleep. In the same way that Zachariah is muted, God puts Abraham to sleep. There's something really important in that detail. That Abraham plays no part in this renewal of the covenant. Although it's supposed to be agreement between God and man, man plays no part here. He just lies back, his eyes are closed, he's asleep. See, God's covenants with us are always gracious. God always comes to us with grace. God always comes to us when we're unable, sometimes even when in our hearts we're unwilling. God comes to us again and again. That's what John the Baptist's name means. That's what John means. God is gracious. He's a gracious God. He will keep his promises. Despite all of our sinful failings, he'll keep his promises. Because sometimes it might be that you feel like in this year, maybe this week, maybe when you just look back over the course of your life, you see silence you see God not seeming to speak to you and you think that that's your fault because you sinned. Maybe that's the wrestle that's going on in your heart today. You think, well, I'd love God to be able to speak to me. I'd love to be able to know him. I'd love to be able to sense his presence. I'd, I'd love to read this book and know it's true. But the thing that's blocking, the thing that's getting in the way is my sin, my failings, my, my broken, I've just made a mess of things. I'm just a fool. I've ruined things again and again. Well, the good news for you is that God is gracious. And he makes his promises with us. He sends his love to us, not dependent on our behavior, but completely dependent on his grace and his mercy, his kindness to you. See, he's come to act 
graciously for the outcast, for the lonely, for the barren, for the broken, for those who've suffered injustice and pain, for those who've sinned and fallen short, which is all of us. He comes to us in his grace and in his goodness. And in a season of perhaps renewed hope, as we think of a vaccine coming, that's small fry, that's tiny compared to the renewed hope that we have as believers in Jesus. That God has come to us. That God has come to rescue us. That God has come to turn our lives upside down and put us the right way up and fill us with his love and his grace and his goodness. Is it, as uh, Elizabeth ends this passage, she says, he will take away my reproach among people. The fact that she suffers this indignity because of her barrenness, God's going to take that away in the same way he's taken away the indignity, the barrenness, the sinfulness of our hearts. He's come and he's brought a cure in Jesus Christ, his son, who's come to rescue us and forgive us and set us on right footing with God. Let me pray. The band are going to come and lead us in some songs of worship. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love, your favour upon us. We pray, Jesus, that we would... I just pray for everyone watching this right now, that they would just know your gracious love toward them today. That whatever season of silence that they've been walking through this year of frustration and delay that they will just know your goodness and your grace today Holy Spirit come and fill us now we pray help us to respond in worship to you Amen